and verse 13. Jesus is recorded here as saying, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate. Everyone say the gate. Narrow is the way. Someone say the way. Which leads unto what? Life. And how many? Few there be that find it. Amen. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Amen. I've come uh, to preach to this assembly on this subject, the high cost of convenience. The high cost of convenience. Would you lay your Bibles and devices down? And let's lift up our hands toward heaven and let's call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to speak to us very clearly through his word and the ministry of the word today. Father, we love you and thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering together in this place to worship you, to hear your word. I pray, oh Lord, that you would have your way. I pray, oh Lord, that your word will be declared. I pray, Lord, that your spirit that dwells within me would lead and guide me to speak your word, to speak truth in love and I pray that there will be hearers in this place that are not just Lord listening to sound in this place but that would receive the message and the intent of the message into their hearts let them receive with humility the word that is able to save their souls I'm asking that you would use me for your glory speak to us for our good Lord we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus and together we say amen Amen, amen. Shake hands with someone before you're seated and just tell them that very thing, the high cost of convenience. The high cost of convenience. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Convenience. It is defined as the state of of being able to proceed with something with little effort or difficulty. <laughs> Speaking of convenience, to acquire that definition, I did a quick Google search. And in less than half of a second, in 0.48 seconds, it produced for me 1.6 billion results. <laughs> now, what is someone going to do with 1.6 billion results of the definition of convenience? In addition to convenience, I just want to throw uh, another word in there, uh, and that is comfort. And sometimes they go hand in hand. It was, uh, it was the middle of April in 2006. It was, it was the middle of April. I know that because it was the week leading up to Easter. And I just checked my calendar. Easter, I believe, was April the 16th in 2006. And so it was, it was already the middle of April, but still early. It was still the spring. And my precious wife, uh, she was eight months pregnant and expecting our firstborn. And, and we were experiencing unusually warm weather at this point in April and for April. It was unusually warm. Now, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be very memorable uh, that it was unusually warm in April uh, on any other year. But this particular year, it was very memorable that it was unusually warm in mid-April. Um, one, because my wife was eight months pregnant, and so if it was above 60 degrees, it was warm. But on top of that, our, uh, our, the management of our property, of the apartments that we lived in at the time, they had decided that they were going to replace all of the air conditioners for the apartments. 
And so they had a, a day or a week where they removed all of the units, and then they were going to have another week where they would replace with new units all of the old units. So glad you could walk in and join us at this point in your story. You're waiting for the story to be over. And so it was unusually warm. Did I mention it was unusually warm? And this week leading up to April, we were going to have family in town. My wife was eight months pregnant, and there was no air conditioning in our apartment. And so it was hot. It was hot inside of our two-bedroom apartment. And so I called um, to file a complaint uh, and to explain with our property manager that I have a wife who's eight months pregnant and is about to pass out from the heat in our apartment. To which the property manager replied by explaining to me that women for thousands of years got pregnant and had children without the convenience and the comfort of air conditioning. I got off the phone, sounded reasonable to me. I explained that to my wife. And all was instantly better. Not at all. It would be difficult, it would be near impossible for most, if not all of us in this room to even imagine living without the convenience of modern refrigeration. Um, it, it really, the first form of refrigeration, or artificial refrigeration, dates all the way back to the 1740s, which is hard to believe, but really it wasn't until the early to the mid-1900s before it really became convenience that was accept, uh, uh, accessible to the modern uh, or to the public. And so it's relatively a new convenience that allows us to keep cool, the food, the drinks, the medicine, and ourselves in what we would call comfort or our comfort zone or comfortable. And it's, it's really crazy because at this point we rely so heavily upon it um, that when our power is cut out that comes into our homes, we, we go to great lengths and even great expense to try to make sure that the power is restored at least to our refrigerator just to keep our food cool. We're not even sure if we could survive, if life could go on, if we did not have modern refrigeration. I remember going on two uh, missions, trip with, missions trips with the Apostolic Youth Corps, uh, one to Nicaragua and the other to the Dominican Republic. Um, and in these countries, their church buildings, uh, pretty much all of them that we visited had no air conditioning inside of their building, none at all, whatsoever. And it was hot. Now we live, I'm not even gonna try to guess how many thousands of miles from the equator. Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic, they live on the equator. And if you don't already know, uh, the closer you get to the equator, the hotter it gets. And the only way that I could explain how it felt to be in the church services there in those two countries, especially if there was an altar service, and there was always an altar service. Uh, most of their buildings were filled up with chairs, not like these comfortable plush chairs uh, that interconnect. They were filled up with hard plastic lawn chairs. Thankfully, most of them had the armrests, you know, so at least you had armrests. Um, but the chair was just this hard plastic chair that if you had any sweat going on back here, the chair would actually stick to you as you st stood up. And the only way I could explain being in the altar call, and, and you would know there was going to be an altar call because they would have the first three rows of people get up and they would start stacking all the chairs because the, the rooms were so tight. And you would kind of move into the altar call or the response to the message, and I mean, it was packed out and it felt as though if you've ever been in a sauna uh, or a steam room, that is what it felt like. You could cut the humidity with a knife and it would laugh at you. And you were just dripping wet. One time I, I, I was preaching and I had on these light gray pants. They were light gray when I started preaching. They were deep dark gray when I was done preaching. 
Now, of course, cursed be the day if we had to endure church without air conditioning during the month of August, let's say. Now, we got close, right, at the Nazarene church. There were a few services where it was over 80 degrees in that place, and those little AC units were like trying to like keep up with the heat, and it was just so hot. And I remember those services because it felt like I was preaching to an empty room. I would, I would preach, I would sweat, I would pour my guts out, I would deliver truth in love, I would be exhausted physically, and it was like everyone dared me to make them move. <laughs> it's just like if I move, if I move at all, pastor, I'm going to sweat. We, we actually, we become uh, really, I would call it the curse of convenience, the curse of comfort. Is it's, it's when the conveniences of life uh, become suddenly unavailable that we, we then all of a sudden we become so vulnerable, we, we become so feeble, and we're almost rendered incapable, right, of doing what we would consider just the average run-of-the-mill things. Um, let's, just, let's just think about this. A gallon of milk or a carton of eggs that is there in your home in the refrigerator. Now, where, where did you get that from? Where did those eggs and where did that milk come from? Yeah, it came from Walmart, it came from Jewel, it came from Hy-Vee. No, 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 no. There is a cow somewhere that gave her milk and a chicken that surrendered her eggs. And all you did was pay the price that compensates the farmer, the business owner, the grocery store, the shelf stalker that delivered to you those conveniences, those essentials. Now, never mind that the the cow or the chicken never got compensated any of those things that you paid. (laughs) Now, you might pay one price at Sam's Club or Costco or Hy-Vee or Jewel or wherever you like to grocery shop or Aldi. But how many has ever had that moment where you just had to run and go get just one thing, right? And and, uh, you ran down to the convenience store. Maybe it was the gas station. Maybe it was the 7-Eleven gas station that doesn't sell gas. We've got those in Rock Island for sure. And, and you go down to the convenience store, and there you pay a price that sometimes could be as much as double as what you would pay at the big box store, right? True value in Rock Island is one of those places I love and hate all at the same time. Brother Joe, he's laughing because he's been with me several times where we, we just needed something real quick. We weren't going to run to our favorite Menards. We were just going to run down to true value. What kills me, though, is when I go to Menards later and see the thing that I bought at true value, half the price. But what we're doing is we're paying the cost for convenience. And I'm here to convince someone That spiritually speaking, that there is a high price to pay for the cost of convenience. It's actually quite amazing to think of how dependent our lives have become on the conveniences of modern technology. We could start off with how we get our water and gas and electricity or how we get rid of that which goes in the sewer or the trash to the internet, the electronic payments that we can make, and we're working our way to a completely cashless global economy. We now have smartphones, we have smart cars, we have smart homes, with us freely providing all the information of our lives to ladies called Alexa and Siri, so that our lives can become more and more what? More and more convenient, more and more comfortable. My wife likes to tell people that we have a smart thermostat that is connected to my phone. And she likes to tell people that how when I leave the house, it knows that I'm gone. And so it goes into like this eco mode where it keeps the temperature at a cool 85 degrees. And it knows when I'm coming home and it brings down the temperature before I even arrive to a nice cool 72 degrees or 70 degrees. And so when I walk into the house, it's nice and cool. And my wife's just glad I came home. 
But let the prices at convenience stores remind us that there's a high cost of convenience and comfort, especially when it comes to our spiritual lives and our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. There's a story that's recorded in Acts chapter 24. It involves a Roman governor. His name is Felix. And Felix was governor over Judah. And he had an encounter with the Apostle Paul. Now, this had all been arranged. You see, Paul had been arrested for preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. He appealed to Caesar, and so he was on his his way to Rome to appeal to Caesar as a citizen of Rome. At one point, here this... At one point, there were 40 men that swore an oath that they wouldn't eat anything or drink anything until Paul was dead. The word got up the chain, and you know what happened? Paul then, as a result, had a personal escort of 200 soldiers, 70 men on horses, and 200 men with spears to protect him, escorting him to the governor of Judah named Felix. What led to that moment that Paul could share with Felix the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I want to just pause and say this. If you think about what it took for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach your house, to reach your heart, oh, what a wonder. Oh, what a wonder. I'm not just talking about the moment that you heard the gospel. I'm not even just talking about the moment that you were born again of water and the spirit. If you think back over your life, and not just your life, but over the course of the lives of those who brought you the gospel and what led to that moment, oh, what a wonder. You talk about the stars aligning. It was like for Felix, all of this had happened Paul had been arrested and men had swore to kill him and he had armed guards protecting him to get him to Felix. And here is the moment where Felix and Paul could dialogue. The Bible says in Acts 24, verse 24, a few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. And he was sending for Paul. They listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. There it is. Paul is telling Felix and his wife a little Bible study about the faith in Jesus Christ. As the Bible says, and he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. He was laying it all out there to them, Brother Walker. The faith in Christ, righteousness, self-control, the coming of the Lord. The Bible says that Felix became frightened. Has anyone ever felt that before? Maybe you could recall the first time you were in an apostolic Pentecostal church service. Presence of God was moving. Folks were jumping up and down, speaking in strange tongues and sounds. And uh, you didn't know what to make of it. The preacher was on the platform screaming and spitting at you, and you didn't know what to make of it. You went up to the altar after much persuasion. You felt the presence of God, and you were afraid. I can't tell you how many times, Sister Chris, I've been at children's rallies like the one we were at on Friday, and I've prayed with children, and I've just had to stop them and say, Listen, honey, are you afraid? And they would be like, Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared. I said, listen, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid. That's the love of Jesus that you feel. That's the power of God that you feel. He's not here to harm you. He created you for this moment. He loves you and wants to pour his love into you by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that Felix was afraid. And he said this, go away for now, he he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. Felix, the governor, had this moment that was divinely orchestrated by Almighty God for the great apostle Paul who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament books to be sitting down having a Bible study with he and his wife. It caused him to be a little shook in his spirit. And he said, you know what? I just need you to go away. I'll call you back at a more convenient time. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Woo! The call of God goes forth. You hear what the preacher's preaching. You see what the word of God is saying. And you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I could do that. That, It it kind of freaks you out because you know that that is calling from you a true life transformation, true life change. You know that if you accept what that is saying to your life, that you will never again be the same. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to 
pump the brakes. I appreciate you teaching me this Bible study. And, and, and I'll probably call on you. I'll text you. And, and, and when there's a more convenient time, we'll, we'll get back together again. What you're telling me is that you're not ready yet for what God is calling you to now. And, and, and you're just going to wait. You're just going to put on the brakes. You're going to put in park. You're going to push pause on this conversation. And when it's more convenient, can I tell someone that it's never convenient? To answer the call of God is never going to be convenient. You could wait until your kids are grown. You could wait until your bills are paid. You could wait until you got your life in order, whatever that means. But I'm telling you that it will never be convenient to answer the call of God. Our text today comes from what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus Christ himself that spans from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. I would charge each and every one of you, if you don't already have a Bible reading plan, and even if you do, I charge each and every one of you in the fear of the Lord to pick up your Bible and meticulously, carefully study and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read the Sermon on the Mount. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ, his very commands contained in Scripture. Now, Jesus is preaching this awesome message, a sermon on the mount. It is a masterpiece. It is an absolute masterpiece. Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, and he talks about it was written this way, but I'm calling you to do this. Goes on through all of these things. And then he brings the message to a close. <laughs> he closes the message with three, three challenging things, three challenging comparisons. He talks about two trees. He talks about two foundations. And he talks about two paths. The two trees, he says, it's impossible for a good tree to produce bad fruit. And it's impossible for a bad tree to produce good fruit. He summarizes by saying every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is going to be cut down and cast into the fire. Now, Jesus, this is the close of your message. This is like the inauguration of your ministry. And this is how you're going to start things. You're telling folks that if they don't produce good fruit, if they're not good trees, their fruit is going to dictate what kind of tree they are, and if they're not producing good fruit, just cut it down, throw it in the fire. What does he close the message with? What's the clincher? What's the appeal? What's the thing that he's going to say at the very end? <laughs> he says there's two foundations upon which homes are going to be built upon. One is the sand, where someone just builds right there on the surface. Kind of convenient, don't have to do much work, and they build right there on the sand. The other is a man who digs deep until he hits bedrock, and he builds his house upon the rock. And Jesus summarizes again by saying, everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them shall be like them shall be likened, or does not do them, shall be likened unto the foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Wow. You're just going to say it like it is, huh, Jesus? You're just going to tell folks that they could, they could either obey you and stand strong. Or they could choose not to listen and have a great fall. Musicians come. The altar is open. That's what Jesus was doing. He preached this awesome masterpiece. And then he said, this is it. Either you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. And there's a guarantee. Two guarantees. The wind and storm is going to come. Guaranteed. Your house is going to stand if you build on the rock of my saints. Or if you choose not to, and that's your choice, that's your prerogative. You don't have to listen to what I say. You don't have to obey what I'm telling you. But understand, it's going to come with a cost. It's going to come with a price. There's a high cost of convenience. You could build your house upon the shifting sands of society and culture that is laden with sin, and convenience could be king in your life. But know this. 
that when the wind comes, the storm comes, your house is going to be decimated. Jesus, let's go easy here. We don't want to scare people away. We're trying to gather a crowd here, not drive them away. A crowd. Could you imagine what Jesus' response would be if his disciples, Peter, James, and John, said, Jesus, go easy. We're trying to gather a crowd. I could hear Jesus say, a crowd? I'm not trying to gather a crowd. I'm trying to build a church. The church is not a struggling business that is appealing to discount believers, to buy into convenient religion. It's a mighty army with banners. And our Lord will not have any soldiers recruited into his army under false pretenses. They shall know exactly what is called of them if they are to be in service with him. We are joining together with Christ in the army of the Lord. Two trees, two foundations, two paths. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. The Bible says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Notice what he says here, or perhaps what he doesn't say. He doesn't say this. Now, although the road is narrow and the gate is straight, because it leads to life, take that way. No, (laughs) rather, he said, because it's narrow, because it's straight, because it leads to life, therefore blessed are the feet who are resolvedly set to be planted in that kind of path. He lays it out thick. He lays it out plain. He says, it's going to be a straight gate. It's going to be a narrow way, but it's the path that leads to life. If you don't know, you should know. Let me say it very clearly right now for all to hear. It is more difficult to be a Christian man or woman than to not be one. I want that to sink in for just a minute. Young people, listen up. It is harder to live for God in your public schools or any school or in life in general than to not live for God. It's harder. It's more difficult. Perhaps even painful might be a description of this kind of life. It's not easy. But it amazes me in society how many people will enlist and sign up and buy into things that are difficult, sometimes purely on the premise of it being difficult. It's as though there is an inherent knowledge that the things that are worth it, the things that are valuable, they have high costs related to them. I wonder how much those fancy shoes or high-dollar shoes would sell for if they were just given away for free. I wonder how many people would be beating down doors and fighting over and waiting up until a certain hour, until a certain shoe or certain thing was released so that they could have the newest, the, the best, and all it was was something absolutely free. And everyone and anyone could have it. No, no, no. You will find people lining up for hours and staying up all hours of the night and paying ridiculous prices for things that cost astronomical amounts of money. Why? Because there is something in the human psyche that says, listen, it might be difficult to get to it might cost me a lot of money it might cost me time and sleep but I know that it must be worth it because the cost is steep my friend if it's true of any gizmo gadget or clothing or fashion in this world in this world you better believe that it is absolutely unequivocally true when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life that you can live in Jesus Christ my friend that gate is straight that path is narrow but I promise you that it's worth every heartache it's worth every tear it's worth all the pain it's worth the sacrifice it's worth every prayer it's worth your faith it's worth your giving it's worth everything that you could ever pour into it and 
so much more. Someone say amen. amen. We are called to examine four elements that are contrasted in these two paths. I won't be much longer. Stay with me today. We are called to consider these four things that are contrasted in these two paths. He said there's two gates, there's two ways, there's two groups of people, and there's two destinations. He said there's a wide gate and a straight gate. He said there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. He said there's many people that find one way and few that find the other. He said but the destinations are beyond compare. One leads to death, death and the other leads to life. The gate is straight. If you have that scripture available, I want you to throw it back up on the screen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14. Straight is the gate. It's an old English word. Perhaps up to this point you always thought it was S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Straight. Straight is an arrow. A straight path. A straight gate. No, no. That's not the word that's being used here. It is a straight as in the Strait of Gibraltar. It's a narrow passageway. It's something that is, you have to press into. Uh, one comparison might be this. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 24, when the rich young ru ruler walks away because he walks away sorrowful because the Lord calls him to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow him. The Bible records Jesus saying, listen, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The gate is straight, meaning the passage to enter into this way that is narrow, <laughs> not only is the gate straight, which means it's, it's, a, it's, it's a push just to try to get the gate, get through the gate. But after you get through the gate, the road that you then get onto is narrow. Did you all know you were signing up for this? Did you all know that Jesus was calling you to this? He's, he likened it to a, a camel trying to get through an eye of a needle. It, it was an old archaic term that talks about when, when they would have these walled cities and at night they would close up the wide gate and they would have just one narrow passageway. And if you wanted to get into the city, you had to go through this narrow doorway. And in order to get a camel through it was nearly impossible. You had to get the camel down on all fours. And then if there was anything on the camel, you would for sure take it all off. Completely unpack everything that this beast of burden was carrying for you. You would unpack everything off the camel, have them on all fours, and then push them through. Because that camel ain't going to just... You're going to push that camel through that straight gate. It's narrow. And listen, he makes no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He doesn't leave room for guesswork. There are two pillars that stand at the doorpost of this gate. He opens up his Sermon on the Mount with it. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. Those might be called the two posts of the door that you have to get through to get on this road. To be poor in spirit means that you come to the realization that you are so short of the glory of God. That all have sinned. We declare our own spiritual bankruptness. That we are inadequate and incapable to buy our salvation. I am bankrupt spiritually. Oh, and blessed are they who mourn that don't just realize that they're poor in spirit, but they grieve and say, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. Lord, without you, I cannot be saved. <laughs> to get through that straight gate, it's as though you got to unpack all that baggage. Like Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you. Come on, get those things that you have been carrying for so long. Put them off of you. Why? Because I got to get through this straight gate. Whatever it takes, humble me down to all fours if you have to. Unpack the burdens that I've been carrying all my life if you have to. But God, I want to get through the gate. 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 
There's no room for unrepented sin or for self-righteousness. But let me tell you, this straight gate, Sister Margie, is uh, it's actually in the most beautiful way, the widest gate you'll ever come to. <laughs> oh, oh, it's straight, but it's wide as the world. <laughs> It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your class. It doesn't matter your language or your skin color. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic standing you might have. It doesn't matter your morality. It doesn't matter what your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather did. I'm telling somebody that whosoever will can come to this gate. Whosoever will can come to this water and drink of it. Oh, yes. Oh, it's a straight gate. Oh, but anyone from anywhere of any walk of life can come to the gate. Anybody can come. He's not asking anything from anyone that nobody can't give. You're here and you got breath in your lungs. You could come. You're here. You got a pulse in your veins. You could come. Oh, you may have come straight from a bar room. You may have come with needle marks in your arm. You may have come with money as your God. You may have come as a dope addict or a dope dealer. But bless God, you can come. Oh, it's going to be a straight gate. Oh, you got to humble yourself. Oh, you got to throw off some things. But you can come. You can come. You can come. Oh, hallelujah. Clap your hands if you're thankful that you were able to enter into the straight gate. Oh, it only requires what all can give, faith and repentance. Not only is the gate straight, it's a strain, but the path is narrow. The path for those who will live for Christ, it has limitations. It has boundaries. It has parameters. While there are none at all for the godless man, you're not interested in this life eternal. There's no barriers. There's no boundaries. You hear me right now. Listen carefully. You want convenience? You want convenience? Then there's a broad way over here. There's a wide gate over here. It requires nothing of you. Do what you want. Do like you feel. Live as you please. Go where you want. Watch what you want. Talk like you want. Hurt whoever you have to. Whatever it does, if it makes you feel good, do it. Live like however you want to live. But I will warn you that there is a deception that comes with that supposed freedom and liberty. Someone that knows what I'm talking about, that's lived like that lifestyle calls you to live, to follow after whatever lust or desires you have in your heart and to do as you please, to whom you please, when you please. How many knows that there, are, there might be pleasure, but it's only seasonal, it's only momentary, but someone that is under the sound of my voice that knows what it's like to be alone at night and you feel so lost and you feel so alone and you feel so broken and you feel so destroyed from the inside out. You have no more rot for living. You are hopeless. There's no hope in you. You tell me how much freedom and liberty is in that lifestyle. It is a deception that comes with that freedom. Hallelujah. People under the sound of my voice sitting on these church pews right now, they came here out of that life. Why? Because they know it was empty. There was no true satisfaction. It was lies. It was smoke and mirrors. It was glitter and glam that you came out past that nothing, nothing, nothing could satisfy. But take me to the gate. Take me to the gate where I've got to humble myself. Take me to the gate where I've got to unburden myself and lead me on the path. It's narrow, 
there's boundaries there's limitations oh but it's like the rays of sun that are loose and all over but you focus those rays into one magnifying glass and it could penetrate and it could produce fire and it could be effective oh can I tell you that your meekness is not weakness but it is strength under control when you choose to live your life submitted to the word of God submitted to the spirit of God submitted to the leadership that God brings into your life my friend it does not produce weakness it produces a magnificent strength that is manifest in meekness oh oh you may not know it but you want someone to tell you what to do You may not know it, but you want someone to help you along the way. You may not know it, but you want someone to guide you through this life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? to, to, To think, to think for one moment that I have to raise my children on my own is terrifying. To think for one moment that I could be a man in this society and live a respectable life is terrifying if I had to do it on my own. But thank be to God. I've got a holy book. I've got the Holy Ghost and I've got holy men and women of God in my life that say hey, 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 get over there. Hey, hey, come back over here. Hey, you don't need to go there. Hey, you don't need to watch that. Hey, you don't need to talk like that. Why? Because there's a better path to live on than the one that everybody else is finding. God, help me. God, guide me. Oh, in the name of Jesus. I love you, Lord God. I love you, Jesus. He says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Oh, and there are few that find it. You don't accidentally stub your toe and fall through the gates of heaven. You don't just live whatever way the wind blows and just kind of all of a sudden you're on streets of gold. He said there's few that find it. They're looking for it. They saw this before, and they they saw this before, but I want to make sure that I I find that way that leads to life. I'm looking for it. To some of our young people, I don't make any apology for preaching to our young people often. How many knows they need some preaching? Can I tell you, you can be bold you could be loving. And you can start a Bible club in your school. And even if you can't or don't, can I tell you that there are people in your schools, they're looking. They're looking for that, that gate. They're looking for that way. Would you be their guide? Would you show them the path that someone so graciously showed to you? What happens? What happened? What, is, what has happened? It's a Christianity. How did we get here? How did we get to the place where if it fits into my schedule. If they have the music that I favor. If they preach it like I like it. How did we get to the place where one one could be so easily offended? It's as though the skin like someone that is on blood thinners for a long time can so easily be bruised. How did we get here? I'm afraid that it has come from a few decades or longer of bad 
theological evangelism and discipleship that has coddled and has sought to comfort every Christian so-called believer and baby them to the point of adult immaturity that says if you don't like it, you can throw yourself a tantrum and there's a church down the road. You can find another church and another church. What happened to the Christianity of which is founded upon Jesus Christ that says if you will come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, let's go. That calls us into an army of believers and not a nursery of spiritual babies that never mature, that never grow, that never become productive, that are always dependent. Oh, I, I, I'm not looking to be misunderstood today, but I, I can't help but think that we have created a culture in Christianity of spiritual babies that is always living in this level of immaturity, of thin-skinned, snowflake immaturity that wants it just like I want it, that wants the temperature just right. My God, help us when if we have to live into the times of the tribulation or persecution that this world may be having on its horizon very soon. God, help you. You, if you can't make it into this comfortable place or they turn off the power and electricity to this building, God help us if they outlaw your faith and outlaw the Bible. How much of the Bible have we hid in our hearts if they take it out of our hands? I believe that God is raising up an army of believers that says, I will deny myself. I will take up my cross. I'm not looking to be on a pacifier all my spiritual life, but God, I want a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I'm done. You go ahead and begin playing. I'm done. But listen, God help the people that will be judged in the last day who have deceived people and misled people into believing that you could pray some sinner's prayer and mentally assent to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior in a moment of time and experience zero life transformation and think you're good for eternity. God curse that lie from the pit of hell. He has called you to fall on your face in faith and repentance. He has called you to a watery grave of baptism. He has called you to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He has called you to live a life of holiness and separation. God has called you to the straight gate. God has called you to the narrow way. But I'm marching on that path all the way to heaven. I'm marching on that narrow way. I'm not looking to I'm not looking to just kind of allow the winds of culture, society. I'm not looking for peer pressure in Hollywood and fashion to dictate how I'm going to dress and how I'm going to live and how I'm going to raise my children and how I'm going to behave myself as a husband, as a father. No! Take me to the Word of God. Take me by the Spirit of God and teach me, Lord, how to live on that narrow way. You got to be careful. You got to be careful on this narrow path. Oh. Sometimes it will just take you taking a step at a time. The race is not to the swift. It might be true that the slow and steady win this race. Oh, you you go on ahead without me if you have to. I'm coming. I'm coming. I feel like someone just took another baby step today. But it's in the right direction. I feel like someone made up their mind today. And it might seem small to many, but it's in the right direction. Come on. Who's going to join me? No, I can't live how I want to. It's okay. I did that once. Didn't get me very far.
Where are some bold believers in this house? I call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, whatever it takes. Lead me, Lord, wherever you want. Take from me whatever doesn't belong. Can I tell you that after living this life for as many years as I have, Brother Hoyer, I've learned that some of the things that we call holiness, to me, they're just the baseline. They're really just the minimum. I've learned in my life that God calls from me things that he doesn't call anybody else to. And for me, that's okay. Because I'm not interested in doing only what I have to do to be saved. I'm doing whatever I must do to please him, to be close to him. Oh, Lord, to be useful in your hands. This altar's open already to anyone that would like to come and make their way to this altar area and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for setting up a divine appointment in my life. And don't let me be like Felix, the governor that says, ah, I'm not ready. I'll call you back at a more convenient time, though. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. It's time to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Don't neglect it. Oh, this life is different than the world, but I'm not wanting what the world has. Oh, this is different than what my family came from. I know, but I'm not interested in just what they had. I want more. I want deeper. I want consecration. I want commitment. Have your way in me, Lord. Have your way in this place right now. Father, have your way among my church family. God, let us not fall into the mistake of modern Christianity that is seeking to live out the principles of the Word of God however conveniently and comfortably they can fit into their lives. I'm not here to categorize my faith to a Sunday and a Wednesday, but God, I want to live wholeheartedly and totally and completely for the Lord Jesus Christ who has given his life for me. Lord, I will live my life for you. Hallelujah, that's it. Let's lift our hearts, our voices. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, that's it. Whether you stand or kneel, whatever you do, just give it all to the Lord today. Come on, he's calling you. Deny yourself. Come on, don't be selfish anymore. He's calling you to self-denial. Would you take up your cross? Take up that instrument of crucifixion that will crucify and mortify the deeds of your flesh along with its desires. That's it in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, have your way in us. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Lead us by your Holy Word. Lead us by holy men and women that you place in our lives. Order our steps, O Lord. Here I am. Go ahead. Unpack those burdens. Lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you. Come on, walk this Christian race.